0: Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. None other than Adrian Lawrence, attorney at law, TYT contributor and author should be a great and fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Donald Trump according to a new report had over 300 combined classified documents. Many of those documents actually related to the CIA FBI and the NSA. Let me give you some background to this, it's quite interesting. So the initial batch of documented classified documents were retrieved by the National Archives. This was in January, it included more than 150 marked as classified, a number that ignited intense concern at the Justice Department. And helped trigger the criminal investigation that led the FBI to swoop into Mar-a-Lago this month seeking to recover more. Multiple people have affirmed this connected to the matter. There's more in total. That means the government has recovered more than 300 documents with classified markings from former President Donald Trump since he left office. That first batch of documents returned in January. Another set provided by Trump's aides to the Justice Department in June and the material seized by the FBI in the search this month. The previously unreported volume of the sensitive material found in the former president's possession in January helps explain why the Justice Department moved so urgently to hunt down any further classified materials he might have. Now. What is the defense of Donald Trump here? Well, it depends on who's talking. According to Giuliani, he did steal classified information. Giuliani said, yes, he was in possession of classified information. But see, he was just preserving the classified information. So that's one defense. Another defense from Trump's camp is that, well, Donald Trump actually had a standing order to declassify anything that he took. Well, once again, that's contrary to what Giuliani is saying. And then there are others who are saying, well, this is simply a witch hunt. I just heard a narrative um, earlier this week that said, no, this was planted. Yeah, that the documents were in fact planted, there's more. The specific nature of the sensitive material that Trump took from the White House remains unclear. But the 15 boxes Trump turned over to the archives in January, nearly a year after he left office. Included documents from the CIA, the National Security Agency and the FBI spanning a variety of topics of national security interest. A person briefed on the matter said Trump went through the boxes himself in late 2021. According to multiple people briefed on the efforts, a federal judge in Florida. Now this is a shift. Remember, there's a case, a motion filed about taking away the restrictions involved in this case. Now, if you take away the restrictions as it relates to the subpoena, as it relates to some of the evidence leading up to this raid, well, you also take away the veil that covers witnesses? People that are testifying against Trump, people that are willing to testify against Trump in the future. A federal judge in Florida has formally rejected the Justice Department's plea on Monday to keep an affidavit underpinning the August 8th raid At former President Donald Trump's home. The government wants to keep it private. There's a motion not to keep it private. So in his 13-page ruling, the U.S. magistrate judge Bruce Reinhardt found that the government had not justified keeping the entire affidavit under seal due to the intense public and historical interest in an unprecedented search of a former president's residence. Now, if you remember, when I covered this last week, I said it is interesting to note. That the way this is going down is all about the contrast between public interest and this process of investigation. And typically a federal judge will weigh if the interest is intense enough, meaning public interest. If it is intense enough, there will be a different decision made. You do not get more public than a former president, being raided by the FBI. So we're likely going to see information maybe Thursday, maybe Friday of this week. We're going to see information that could possibly provide a map of who's involved in testifying against Trump. So following a hearing last week, Brian Hart, who signed off on the initial search warrant of Mar-a-Lago earlier this month gave the government until noon Thursday to submit proposed redactions of the affidavit. The Justice Department top counterintelligence official Jay Bratt argued that releasing the affidavit in full would and I quote, provide a road map to the investigation and allow quote, amateur sleuths to uh, on the internet to identify key witnesses. Well, what is this saying? The government has told us a lot here in their rebuttal. They have told us, they not only have a witness, they have multiple witnesses. And not only do they have multiple witnesses, they have some that they have classified as key witnesses. That's a different distinction. In addition to that, there's enough there there to where if this information is released, you will be able to connect the dots. According to the prosecutor, an amateur may be able to connect these dots, there's more. This is a volatile situation with respect to this search across the political spectrum. But on our side in particular, Brad told the judge, the government is very concerned about the safety of the witnesses in these cases. And the impact of all the attention on these witnesses on other witnesses. So what does that mean? That means the government is concerned, and rightfully so. That violence may be animated against the witnesses that could be exposed. I submit to you that I believe some of these witnesses or at least one is connected to the family of Donald Trump. We'll continue to keep you updated as it develops this week. Uh, Attorney at law, your legal mind present in this case. What are your thoughts here?
1: So we now know that Trump had somewhat 300 classified documents in his possession or at least at a minimum. And we also now understand that there were 700 pages of documents just in that first uh, what uh, documents that were picked up by National Archives back in January. So the man had probably over 1,000 pages of classified documents in toto, and yet he continued to keep this in his possession. And we're also finding out that he had been subpoenaed twice, one for documents that were classified and also for the security footage. And then we also know that his attorney, Christina Bob, is the one who signed the declaration, I believe in June, promising the government that Trump had no more classified documents in his possession. It tells us that Trump knew, he knew from January when National Archives demanded the documents into June when they issued that subpoena, as well as when his attorney responded back saying, hey, we don't have any more classified documents only for the FBI to conduct the search and to pull out 26 boxes. This man is an enemy of the state. If we yeah. are going to pretend that that is not the case, we are simply lying to ourselves. There is no way you can legitimize that man having all of those documents. And the thing is, is even if he said he declassified them, the declaration that Bob signed said any documents marked as classified. So that doesn't matter whether they are classified were they marked as classified, that marking was still there in present. So if there's not indictment, if there is not any kind of prosecution, if there's not actually holding people accountable here, it really does tell us that the president is above the law and whomever his wealthy white cohorts are as well.
0: Very well said and I echo your sentiment about the attorney. I do believe Trump's attorney because of this signature is going to either A, become a co-defendant with Trump or B, possibly be disbarred very soon and People are saying, well, Trump declassified the information on his way out. Well, that's not true. You see, if he yeah. would have declassified the information, declassification does not exist just for a president. That's called being read in to a classified memo. So the president can be, can have access to classified information without declassifying the information. If it is declassified, that means it is declassified for you and me, for the public. And if it's not available for us, then it's not, in fact,
2: declassified. All right. Very
0: sad story, a drunk cop, a drunk police officer rear ends a driver. Injures a child and they cover it up. Well, we're gonna expose it right here. Uh, Let's do this, let's put up the picture of the officer that was involved. An off duty county cop rear ended A driver fractured a two year old child's skull when he rear ended the car. He had a pickup truck. He was allowed by his fellow officers to forego, not take, not participate in an alcohol test. This was in Saltfoot County. Officer you're looking at, his name is mozzarella, David. Mozzarella that was involved in the car crash. Uh, This particular cop decided it was okay to drive his truck over 50 miles per hour into a car holding a father and his two young sons in Middle Country Road. This was in St James, August. All right, there's more. Let me show a picture of the child, see what this cop did? Look at the injuries here. This accident was so massive, the father was thrown into the steering wheel and broke his nose. While his two year old son's skull cracked in multiple places because of this cop. The injured child had to relearn how to feed himself and perform other activities he recently learned as a toddler. Almost two years after the crash, he still needs leg braces and is unable to run or jump. Now, I'm going to expose the cover up officers from the precinct that this cop works in, they responded to the crash. So these are his buddies, keep that in mind. These are the people he worked with, he works with them. They responded to the crash and broke all protocol to protect this cop from going through an alcohol analysis. A detective told Sergeant Lawrence McQuaid that he wanted to administer a breathalyzer test, but Sergeant McQuaid, who's a supervisor, instead contacted Officer Joseph Russo of the County Police Benevolent Association delegate. Russo drove the cop who just almost killed a two year old away from the scene of the crash before he could be tested. Do you see what's happening here so far? You have massive injury. You have a child fighting for his life. You have a cop who's likely obviously drunk because if he wasn't, you know what they would have done giving him the breath of lies in order to prove he is exonerated from any criminal action, okay? They did not, they drove him away, that's illegal. Um, officer Ken Wustenhoff lied to a supervisor that he had given the cop a breath test, he never gave this officer a breath test. And that he passed the breath test. Another lie, an anonymous law enforcement source told Newsday. Woostenhoff later retracted his report, which means he committed a, a felony. He lied under an official document. Three hours after the crash, Deputy Inspector Mark Fisher finally asked Mozzarella to take a breath test. And the off-duty officer then refused. Wait a minute, we're three hours late. So he's so drunk, ladies and gentlemen. That even after three hours of no alcohol, he's afraid to take the alcohol test because he knows he will likely fail. Normally, when a driver refuses, this is the rule. When the driver refuses the breathalyzer, a police officer will seek a warrant to have the drivers blood tested for alcohol. Fisher instead issued a traffic citation and moved on. Because the officers broke protocol and failed to administer a test, The county DA's office was unable to pursue a vehicular assault charge against the officer, isn't this something? The officers involved also failed to notify the county DA that Marcella had refused to take a breathalyzer test which prevented the DA from deciding to seek a warrant for a blood test which could have verified that he was drunk at the scene of the accident. Let me show you the footage from the scene, look at that. This is from a security camera nearby. It shows Mozzarella throwing an object from his truck's, a truck's window about nine seconds after the crash. Two minutes later, after the cop pulled over and spoke to someone on the cell phone, he appeared to return to the object and retrieve it. County payroll records reviewed by Newsday showed the county police department suspended this officer and suspended Wustenhoff, the officer who lied about administering a test without pay on February 3rd. Wolstenhoff suspension only lasted 45 days. But the officer who ran into the back of the vehicle remained suspended. Stuart Cameron is the county police department chief and Errol Tulin is the county sheriff. So this is sad, but what does it show? What does this reveal? Number one, they don't give a damn about citizens. They don't even care about children who are dying in front of them. They knew the protocol, they knew right away what to do. They get officers responding. One cop says, nope, you will not breathalyze this guy. I'm gonna call somebody external of the police, but is basically the police. He's gonna come, he's gonna pick him up, He's gonna drive him away. They lied on reports. Here's the thing, they should be arrested, not suspended, not fired, but arrested, arrested, why? Because lying on these documents is a crime. It's a violation of the oath of office, none of them were charged with these crimes. You literally have a cop who's under a suspension who should be under the prison at this moment. All right, Adrian, significant cover up, obviously criminal conduct by the cop, but more criminal conduct by the cover up. Nobody is going to jail as of this moment, nobody has been arrested yet. Give me some insight here.
1: You know what? This and actions like this are, are completely why people lose their confidence in law enforcement in total. The fact is that they're looking to cover up and to protect each other more than they are looking to protect and serve members of the public. We see that happen each and every day with these stories that come out. And while we're fortunate to have them, these individuals exposed, it's clear that the system itself is wholly broken because these stories continue to come out. And we have to think about all the stories that did not come out. All the people who were set up, who were lied to, who relied on. and had to suffer as a result and when we see it that it's this child this vulnerable member of society who is going to suffer and lose the most it just makes you wonder at what point if there is a point will law enforcement ever be held accountable will we make some effort to change the system and the thing is i don't know if there will ever
0: be a point yeah as long as things like this continue to permeate there will always be a massive separation between cop and community It's unfortunate because it doesn't have to be. Get rid of the bad actors, you get rid of the bad sentiment. A woman, 48 years of age, black woman has a mental health crisis. The cops come and decide to punch her. Here's the video.
3: You see how they doing her though? You see how they manhandling her like that? He just punched her. He punched her. He punching her.
2: He
4: punching
3: her. He punching her. He punching her. He
4: punchin her. He
3: punchin her. He got you got to mental this. It. It. You
4: punching her. He punching her in her face, he's still punching, Not he's he's punching her. He's still punching her. He's
3: still punching her. He, he punched her in her face, twisting her ear.
4: They have they have they have
3: <laughs> he punching her and she got a mental disorder. Look how many people on.
0: Howard, cops. I'm gonna give you some background to this horrific story. Let's put up a picture of the daughter, the daughter did speak to the local news. Now, before I get to the daughter, Pontiac, Michigan is where the family is from. They are considering legal action against the Oakland County Sheriff's Office after this arrest was caught on camera. You see the officers repeatedly punched this woman. Um, she was in a mental health crisis, that's why 911 was called. This is her daughter, the daughter, her name is Jezere Stevens. Jezere Stevens spoke with Click on Detroit. Stevens said of her mother's injuries, quote, need kicked. She's bruised up from her chest up face, her eye is bulging. She stated further and I quote, they're here to protect the citizens and wrong is wrong and there's no justifying wrong. If she was wrong, you could have detained her in the proper manner. Steven said her mother has a significant mental health issue. The original call came for a welfare check. And when the police arrived, they found a woman trying to light a face cloth on fire. She was experiencing a mental health crisis. The police said she exposed herself to the officers. And then swung at them once again, she's going through a mental health crisis. That's when they decided to tackle her to the ground and began to punch her repeatedly no matter what, no matter what. You don't do that to another person, let alone a woman who's going through a mental health crisis. Please keep in mind, once they recognized she was going through a mental health crisis. She is now a patient, not a suspect, not an inmate, not a prisoner, but a patient. Oakland County Under Sheriff Curtis Childs, let's put him up, defended the actions of the officers. Childs said, and I quote, "She resisted the arrest, and we did what we had to do to try and get her under control." When asked if the punching was necessary, this feckless leader said it was policy if required. The deputies were being bitten multiple times. Charles showed photos of the officers injuries. <laughs> oh, My gosh, what are we going to do? They are injured. You know what the cops would not show? The injuries that his cops did. To this woman. Childs added, it takes whatever force we have to do to gain compliance, is what was being done. They mean to tell me that in order to subdue a woman who's experiencing a mental health challenge, the only thing your officers know how to do is punch her in the face while she's on the ground. That's it, that's all they know how to do. That's the extent of the training they receive. Um, a co responder was. On the scene, but police said the a woman refused to speak with her or anyone else. So she was arrested. The woman has not been charged with anything and is still being held in jail. Once again, not only a failure of leadership evidenced by the uh, supervisor here, the under sheriff, a failure of protocol, culture and policy with the actual sheriff's office. A failure systemically as it relates to mental health care. Uh, not only in their county, but frankly, across the country. All of these failures compounding on one individual at one time who's going through a mental health crisis. She should have been going to a hospital, not going to a jail. All right, Adrian thoughts here.
1: Of women in the United States, black women are only about 13%. Yet we're 28% of individuals who are murdered by police when we're unarmed. As well as just 20% of those who police kill. It really does show you that police officers continue to see black women as being violent and criminal even if we're simply having a mental health episode. The thing is that law enforcement officers need to stop acting like they are street thugs. You know, Just because a suspect may hit you or push you doesn't mean you should pulverize them. The goal is to merely subdue that person and to stop them from engaging in behavior that could be harmful to themselves or to others. Not to punish them not to be judge and jury and to beat the hell out of them. Simply because they bit you or they kicked you or hit you. You're supposed to be the bigger person because you are armed with the law and as well as lethal force. Yet it seems like so many officers have forgotten that and really take it as an opportunity simply to beat the hell out of everyday citizens who simply need help.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. They won't want someone to treat their sister, their mama, their daughter like that. But they have no problem treating black women in that manner. We're gonna continue to follow this story as it develops. We got more on the other side It's indisputable stick and stay. What's happening? Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Uh, Let me remind everyone, membership is available right there. If you're watching via YouTube, click join multiple levels to become a member. All right, so now you can uh, support, support, excuse me, Indisputable by becoming a YouTube channel member. It's easy, click that button, three levels to choose from. We're excited to grow our membership. Uh, We actually just exceeded actually uh, a million. A million followers on Facebook and YouTube combined. We're well over a million at this point. I thank you for so much support. Thank you. All right. Pharaoh Portugal blue blazer regular 300 documents question mark. This is like 600 years of reading material for the illiterate president. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, he have a tough time getting through it. Conrad Williams, it's indisputable that cops are corrupt. It's no longer an issue of bad apples. The three, The tree is rotten. It must be uprooted and replaced, correct, agreed. All right, let's go to Chaplain Fred, aka Prayer Dragon. Dr. Richard, do you really think Trump, and thank you for that, Chaplain. Do you really think Trump will ever see the inside of a jail cell? Democrats are afraid of an insurrection slash civil war. Trump is laughing, all right? Chaplain, as much as it pains me to say this, I do not believe Trump will actually go to prison. I do believe he can be indicted. I do believe he can be found guilty or plead guilty. But as far as him going to prison, I think a federal judge would likely suspend his sentence knowing that he's around Secret Service every day and he will be mandated to remain under that supervision if it comes to it. See Michael Henson, thank you see Michael. Uh, Dr. Rich, after teaching in the classroom and being a parent for a combined 22 years, need to write a book and sell it to the GOP called How to Get Your Life Straight. I mean, really? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, they don't have to. They can just keep lying and somehow it works for them. Stoneflower Dragon, thank you so much. Anthony McClendon, thank you so much. Anthony says, I'm surprised uh, these county cops didn't falsify the police report. So to say that the father of the two year old boy was the one that fought for the accident, um, really interesting. Okay, I got something for everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would.
2: You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday.
4: I'm gonna tell you there's an African American man threatening my life. I'm gonna take what, say that. You hit me if you want. Out of fact, say that. You want more. You're trying to. Come on. But I, mean,
2: I, don't I don't have, have well. to try. I, I don't
3: have so to
2: try. Hot you hot are here. so and you don't realize it. it. You don't realize I it. it. I thought you was cool. I don't realize it. And you're gonna sit here and call him a fucking you send sitting inside an African American woman. You are. We're
3: Stop not it, be you from need from to me. be locked up, I you hope they, they locked the up, because you're you a dumb
2: ass, ass bitch. bitch. You're a dumb bitch. Who the is
0: a You done lost Bitch, bitch. <laughs> you done lost the Consequences and repercussions. Now I have more video here. This is a throwback, okay? There's more.
2: You yes, done lost the you understand me? You are a stupid I can do it Why stupid I'm a Yeah, You're Magical mother. The no. best you can do You gonna sit beside me and call him a are
0: Karenicity in this one runs deep. A lot to unpack here, all right? Karen's a dangerous. So this particular Karen decides to call an employee the N-word while sitting next to a black woman. But the black woman defended that employee. And that's when things became hostile. Interesting to note. The black woman was being removed, even though the white woman was the one being racist. Um, I know there are some people who push back on this on social media and say, well, that was just a word, Um, it should not have gone that far. Well, let's be very clear, the Karen in this scenario is drunk, right, she's likely intoxicated. That doesn't give you a free pass to be racist, in addition to that, Who started the disturbance? Well, whoever is the racist person started the disturbance. And then there was a response to the disturbance. And do you not find it ironic that when she feels as if she's in danger, she starts calling on the black employee to help her? All right, there's something interesting about Karens and airports. We have had a lot of stories about Karens and airports. Uh, this is another one I came across. Here it is. Yeah, honorable mention, Karen. Listen, you're on your way now. If you keep it up, Karen, one day you have your own segment right here in Indisputable, Adrian. I think they were removing the wrong person in that first video. What are your thoughts here?
1: Well, I can tell you with these Karen Airport videos, it's clear to me that TSA is screening for the wrong thing. <laughs> right. that something needs to be done because this is very, very not good. As far as the first video goes, you know, the woman was drunk, the white woman, the Karen was drunk, and her racism popped out probably because she was inebriated, but she's still racist at heart. This is who this person is. That word doesn't just show up when your alcohol, blood alcohol level hits a certain point. No, this is in you, this is who you are. And the fact that she felt that she should unleash that weaponized term onto a woman. And number one, also that that woman is the one who has to be removed. It's very bothersome for me. I don't like anything about this situation, especially also seeing that Karen go ahead and pull her white woman tears in the aftermath as though she is the victim. No, no, not at all. And I do hope that she was charged with something at the end of the day that she faced some consequences because to act like the black woman is the problem in this situation when she is the one subject to a highly racist and highly problematic term. And behavior from this drunk white Karen get the hell out of here. It's just it's disgusting.
0: And what she did was incite violence. That's what this Karen did. All right. Okay, a judge in Texas, racist against undocumented individuals. Those coming from another country, but he's in charge of ruling on immigration cases in his courtroom. I kid you not, this is under the leadership of Greg Abbott. Let's put up the governor, Greg Abbott, who has taken a very racist approach to immigration in his state. There's a prominent judge in Texas inside of Governor Abbott's border security operation to arrest and jail migrants on trespassing charges. That judge has now been accused of using a racial slur against Latino defendants. I'm gonna get into this, okay? There's a defense attorney, big ups to this defense attorney because it takes a lot of courage to do this. A defense attorney told the state commission on judicial conduct last week, that Judge Alan Amos told her the trespassing defendants weren't your regular wet. That's right. That's the term he used. That's what he called them, according to a copy of the complaint obtained by the Texas Tribune. They have phones and clothes and all kind of other things, Amos reportedly said in July to defense attorney Emily Miller, whose complaint was first reported by the Daily Beast. Miller is asking the commission to consider whether Amos uh, alleged comment violates the Texas judicial code of conduct. On Monday, Judge Amos told the Tribune that he would not comment on the complaint, but would have to wait for the judicial ethics people. It's unknown if he will continue serving as a visiting judge for migrant trespassing cases in the meantime. So let's first talk about the systemic reason why this judge is even necessary. This is not, a regular or regularly employed judge. This is a guy who has been tapped to temporarily serve as a judge due to the massive and ridiculous policy of Greg Abbott. Which is basically to just start arresting every brown person that you see for trespassing. So they gotta get new judges in. So to get in these new judges, this cat happens to be one of them, Judge Amos. Well, he's racist. He says racial terminology. And then he rules in cases dealing with the same people he obviously despises. Why is this even a consideration? Why are we even talking about if he should remain on the bench or not? It's ridiculous. The judge has not denied that he called Latinos a racial slur. He didn't deny it. He didn't say oh, no, of course, I never would say anything like that. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Nothing like that. He says, well, I have no comment, we'll just wait on the investigation, see what they say. You know why he's confident enough to say that? You know why nobody's asking for his resignation? You know why? Because he knows he will likely get away with it and the people around him, they know it as well. You don't see prominent Republicans coming out against him saying, we have no place for this on our judiciary. That's not happening, they're down with the program. You have to keep in mind, if you protect racists, who are you? You're racist yourself. All right, Adrian, have you ever known a judge to be openly racist on the record? Say something that was completely racist against an entire group of people on the record, have a complaint and still ruling on cases dealing with that same demographic.
1: Yes, unfortunately, this happens wow. all the time. Yes, I speak with one of my girlfriends who practices up in the Illinois area. And the things she has told me absolutely, utterly disgust me. And it's so incredibly sad because there are so many members of our community who do not have any kind of social standing or power to be able to speak up and to push back and to challenge this type of behavior. Because at the end of the day, what we're expecting from our judiciary is to be a neutral arbiter. The one who is able to preside over a case and be objective, but when they've let you know that they are not only not objective, but they are intentionally going against someone as adversarial. They have come up with their own conclusions before any facts have been entered into evidence that tells you that that person is not neutral. They are not an arbiter, they are not a judge and they shouldn't be in a position to judge anyone in our society. Yet our society is giving them license to do so. And that tells us where we are failing entirely as a community and the communities that are being failed in the process.
0: You're so right. The prerequisite, the basic prerequisite to being a judge is being impartial. And if you believe that an entire group of people deserve your racist slur, there is no way possible you can be impartial. You can't be impartial for them and you cannot be impartial for others, all right? We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Okay, let me read some of these amazing comments. Uh, Don't forget about the coverage today. We got uh, progressives running against the establishment again, head to head. Another round of primaries tonight. Tune in at 8 PM Eastern time, 5 PM Pacific time. Catch the crew, cover the races that you care about, New York and Florida. Watch on tyt.com forward slash live, tyt.com forward slash live. All right. Greyhound Dragon says Karen should not be allowed to drink, especially at airports. You know, I'm for that, but I don't think it will stop the Karenicity we see. All right, Chai Chai or uh, Chai Chai Massey or Chi Chi Massey. Remember the movie Throw Mama from the Train? They need a Karenized sequel, Throw Kara from the plane. (laughs) That's so wrong. See, Michael Henson, the incident on that airplane with Karen reminds me of back in the day. Well, Big Mama could and would discipline anyone's child at any time. Chaplain Fred says, this is a Karen possessing this poor girl. You're right, that was the Karenicity jumping from one body to the next. We've learned something new about Karenicity now. Okay, an Uber driver, yes, an Uber driver driving his car. He sees a burning fire, he sees a building on fire. He jumps out of the car, goes inside of the building, saves people. Gets back in the car because he has a passenger and gets her to the destination on time. I kid you not, let's put up a picture of this hero. This is amazing, his name is Fritz, Mr. Fritz Sam. Fritz Sam is a New York Uber driver, he is being called a hero. After running into a burning building and saving the residents while on the clock, he tells his story of the rescue. Here it is.
4: My name is Fritz Sam. Um, I've been driving with Uber since 2015. So, my second passenger pickup heading towards LaGuardia Airport, she was on track five minutes into the trip. Uh, we noticed there was some commotion going on on the side on the sidewalk, and we look closely, and all of a sudden we see a fire come out of the second story window. So yeah, so, we, so, so I say, "Is it okay to pull over?" And she's like, "No, guys, pull over!" And so we're screaming at the top of lungs, "Get out! Get out!" I think I heard, I heard somebody say, "Oh, someone's still inside." So I handed my phone to whoever was next to me, "Say here, take this," and I just brought, I darted up the up the staircase. So I went upstairs, and I, it was laid on top of the staircase. I kind of just kind of grabbed her hand. So we're walking down, walking downstairs. I'm still talking to We're going Don't worry, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry. And then by the time we get downstairs, I walked outside, you know, I, I didn't go outside, but I kind of walked led her to the door. And at the <laughs> same time, uh, um, the first firefighter was coming through the door. So now I'm running towards my car. You know, we got in the car, so I apologized to her. She was like, nah, don't worry about it. Got in the car, and we headed towards the airport. And It was just kind of like, like, wow. You know, I, I, was, I was like, look, all I know is I can't tell my wife. You know, I, you know, she, I ain't gonna tell nobody.
0: That is a hero, Um, he did not toot his own horn, somebody else did that for him. Let's put up his picture again, Uh, Mr. Fritz, Sam is his name. Uh, Sam told uh, the Washington Post, he believed it was his responsibility to help the people in the building. It's not my family, but it's someone else's family. He said, if it was my family and I wasn't able to be there, I would hope that somebody else would go in and help them. Uh, Neighbors weren't sure if there were still people inside, okay, that's the building. So Sam ran into the brownstone. He rescued a man on the first floor and a woman on the second floor. Firefighters and other first responders arrived on the scene six minutes after Sam approached the building. The Uber driver had cleared the entire building by that time. No one was inside and no one was injured. Who was he driving? Let's put up the picture of Jimmy Ma James Wee. That was the passenger. She's a writer. She was on her way to a writers conference and still made her flight on time. She tweeted about Sam's heroic efforts. And after her tweet, it went viral. The two have now made media appearances together. Let me tell you why it's important to highlight this story. That's the humanity that we're missing. In our political conversation. That's the humanity we're missing in our policy conversations. You know how many policy meetings I've been in where people talk about everything but the people? This individual represents the best of us. He represents a deep care and instinctive concern for human beings. We've lost that somewhere. We've lost that, especially in our political class that has evaporated. You know what the difference is? This man has heart, this man has compassion. He did not think of himself, he thought of others. Now, if we could put people like him in position of public policy, if we could put people like him in position of political trust, the world would be a much better place. But see, good people like him don't wanna be in political office. You know why? Because good people get attacked, Their families become targets, it's tough. It's a hard game, which means we are left with the bottom of the barrel literally. When we start choosing our officials to govern the money we give them. All right, Adrian thoughts on this hero.
1: You know, I I like everything about this story. It does make you feel a little bit better knowing that there are people out there like this gentleman and also the woman in the car, because she easily could have complained about, you know, potentially jeopardizing her flight. But by virtue of the fact that she was there and she did have the skill set as a writer to really amplify the altruism here, it just, you know, it kind of uh, bolsters any kind of thought that there are good people in society and that we're not alone in this walk.
0: Yeah, well said. All right. This has been making the rounds on social media. Uh, let's just put the picture up full of mass here. I would try to explain as much as I can about this, uh, but still, a lot of unanswered questions. A Little League World Series player's head was covered in cotton during a game on Sunday night. So this went out on social media. Obviously, many were outraged, considering the black player didn't appear to be laughing about it. Now, the kids around him, they are in fact white, okay? When you look at the full video, you see that clearly. The incident happened in the eighth inning of the Red Sox versus Orioles Little League Classic game in Pennsylvania. When several members of the Davenport Iowa Little League team who are white, took stuffing out of giveaway toys and placed it on a black teammates' Head. So the Little League World Series, they did submit a quote. Spokesperson said, After speaking with the team, as well as reviewing photos, multiple players on the Midwest Region team were taking part in this while enjoying the game. As only one player appeared on the broadcast, Little League Intentional Internationals understands that the actions could be perceived as racially insensitive. Okay, we get that statement. All right, I don't know what adult supervision allowed this to happen. Obviously adults are there, it's a little league game. They got coaches, they got parents, they have support staff. I played baseball, they allowed this to happen, so that's one failure. Number two, maybe, maybe one of the kids, Thought this would be funny because of what they've learned from their own home. And number three, the reason we are aware of this is because the cameraman or camera woman decided to focus in on this while it was happening at the end of the game. So we are made aware of it on live television because they made a conscious decision to say, hey, let's show them picking cotton off of this black child's head. So I'm not sure why that decision was made. There has been no response from the camera person who made the decision. But obviously the insensitivities are well noted here. The racial bias staggering. Adrian thoughts on this.
1: You know, It seemed that uh, the Little League wanted to pretend like this wasn't anything significant and that it was unintentional. But they understand that there could be a bad look. The reality is that this is a black child surrounded by white children trying to put cotton on the child's head. And even if they weren't doing that specifically with the thought of a black child picking cotton, the fact is that they're targeting him in some way that isolates him. Uh, putting this white stuff on his hair, that's almost also creating this uh, this seeming white identity cloaking him in it. Uh, the fact that he is alone targeted, it, it really, it, it just really says a lot about the environment there and as you've noted, what these children are exposed to at home. What their belief structure has already been established to be. But we can't ignore the fact that this is what racism looks like.
0: And this is a product of it. That's right, we can call it unconscious bias, systemic racism, whatever you want to call it, the impact is the same. All right, on the other side of that, a person, a young kid now feels the adverse impact of racial bias. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stick. Welcome back, got a lot of show left. All right, big deal a coming. Uh, don't forget Unbossed with Nina Turner, boom, loving it. That's coming very soon, October 17th, daily. Tune in at 4 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Pacific time. You can subscribe to Unbossed with Nina Turner right now. You can go to tyt.com forward slash tyt. All right. This is good stuff. Very proud of my sister. Looking forward to this. Let me read a couple of comments. Kind of press for time. Next, TY2 reporter says new watch material for all for police officers. This is called bravery. That's right. That's right. All right. Snack Panther, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you so much for that. Latif, aka Colossus Mahis, upgraded membership to double doser. There you go. I appreciate you doing that. Joseph Brookins, welcome to Indisputable bless you, thank you. Um, Sweet back lightning, I hope someone will explain. You had no concept of what was happening, but let's read this book and talk about some things you need to know. That's right, take it as an opportunity to learn talking about the little league game and the cotton. All right. All right, there's a, a man who pulled the knife on the wrong guy. Now there's a lot of mixed feelings about this, here's a video.
3: Does it matter to you?
4: You're going straight You ain't left. see the stop sign? There's kids around here. You can't place through the stop sign, jerk off. You played through the stop sign. Yeah, you did. You didn't stop, bro. You didn't stop. What, you you play didn't play through the, the stop sign. Tell, no, I'm not the police. I'm telling you, stop at that stop sign. There's kids around here. I'm going this guy. I'm minding my business. You I'm mind your minding your business. my business. You're I'm, minding business. Minding business. I'm, I'm minding your, your shit, business. bitch. I'm going be like, yeah. I got something for you. I'll stick it right up your yeah? ass. Yeah? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Oh, get the around. Oh, Oh, Honey, oh, call 911. No, nope, no. Get on nope, the ground. No, nope, no. Nope, get on nope, the ground. Can you call 911? on the ground? Get on the Call 911. Okay. Get on the ground now. Put your hands on your head, What the f you think you are? I'm telling you, there's kids around here. Don't pull a f. You, guys. you were coming at me. Put your hands on your, your head, myself. i hit you yourself. Put your hands on your head. Hey, Ma.
0: Well, that escalated quickly. The guy literally brought a gun, excuse me, a knife to a gunfight. I have more video. The individual decided to call his family. His family comes, here's what happened.
2: He he
4: pulled a knife on me, step back man, step back, step back. Step back! No, I'm not stepping Step back. back. You have to shoot me. Get back! No. He pulled a f- Why? knife on me. Why? He pulled a knife Why? on me because he's psycho and having a f- an episode.
2: Get the. F- I want to see your badge. Right here. No, call 911. I'm one. I'm one. Tell them my husband's a cop, please. Get call them. Tell them to hurry.
3: No, I'm the NYPD. I live
2: here. You you're not NY. You're not
4: New
3: Jersey This is not New Jersey.
4: That's- this is Rockland County, okay, step, back. step back, step back, Stop. step back away from me, Why? step Jill. back away from Jill. me, Jail. step back Jill. away from me
3: step right now. Can I ask you a question, what's gonna kill you faster, a knife or a gun? Okay, a knife. Go ahead,
2: honey, try. Jill.
0: Jill. a knife, nice try, have a nice day. All right, so this guy was a cop, looks like out of his jurisdiction, but a police officer. The individual, was aggressive. The other individual said he would pull out a knife, and he did, uh, and started to approach this cop. Uh, let's put up the pic here. Uh, the graphic that we have is really interesting. Both the cop and the knife wielder have not been identified at this time. There has been speculation that the cop was undercover in the middle of an investigation. Obviously, uh, we know that not to be true. Uh, but Granted, when this turned into him saying NYPD, and I know some people are going to push back on me, and I'm okay with that. What I see is an argument between two men, all right? Two men get into an argument. That argument could end up in a fight, it's called mutual combat. One person didn't want that smoke, the NYPD cop. He decided to then go from an argument, Trash talking, trash talking, colliding perhaps, to saying, let me put you under rest now. I'm a cop. I don't think that's how the rules should work here. Because in my opinion, officer, you were just as much involved in the back and forth. I know the other guy was being aggressive too, but you engage in no art of de-escalation. Okay. So Adrian, I know that I may be in the minority opinion as it relates to this, but you have a cop who's supposed to be trained in de-escalation. The other individual was walking away, he decided to continue to talk trash. The other individual talked trash back. Looked like there may have been a mutual combat situation, but he decided to try to effect an arrest rather than stop the person from proceeding. He wanted to then arrest the guy. Is this proper police conduct?
1: I would argue that it is not, I agree with you. It just seemed like it was too, it was an argument between two men. That was absolutely unnecessary to begin with and it went too far. And by that, I mean the officer pulling out his gun and trying to make an arrest when it's like, does it need to be that? Does it need to go that far? It's completely and totally seems to be unacceptable. And it does seem like it's definitely an abuse of power. Uh, and and that really doesn't seem to be what you would want from someone who again is protecting and serving, but also a member of your community. They have to live in the same complex. What What's the point of this?
0: Yeah, and don't think I didn't notice how the woman in this story obviously benefited from significant privilege because I guarantee you if a black man would have been in that cop's face like she was. Um, something contrary would have happened. He decided not to go that far with her. All right, black homeowners. They get their property appraised. It comes in very low. They then whitewash the home. What does that mean? They made it look as if white people owned it. It shoots up by $300,000. I kid you not. Let's put up the picture of Dr. Nathan Connolly and his wife, Dr. Shani Mott. Last summer, they welcomed an appraiser into their Baltimore home, hoping to take advantage of the historically low interest rates and refinance their mortgage. They have been approved for a loan and told their home was likely worth $550,000 or more. The family lives in the majority white neighborhood, in North Baltimore of Homeland. So they believe their house improved with a new $5,000 tankless water heater. $35,000 worth of renovations was worth much more than the $450,000 they paid for it in 2017. But 2020 valuations a Maryland appraisal company put the home's value at 472,000 and in turn, Loan Depot, it's a major company, Mortgage lender denied the couple a refinance loan. Well, they denied the loan because when the appraisal comes back so low, you can't justify the loan based on the appraised value. The appraised value is what typically the bank would take as law. So this is a big deal, right? So the appraisal was just $22,000 more than they initially paid. And they knew the market had changed and they knew the value should be much higher. So they decided to do something. Let's put up their family. Now, this is the family of Dr. Connolly, uh, said he knew why his uh, he, his wife and three children age 15, 12 and nine are black. Now there's some background here worth noting. As a John Hopkins University professor of history, Dr. Connolly is an expert on redlining and the legacy of white supremacy in American cities. And much of his research focuses on race. And the housing market, in other words, they picked the right one. This week, the Mott Connolly family sued Loan Depot, as well as 2020 Valuations and Shane Lonham, the owner of the 2020 Valuations Group. Loan Depot hired this organization as a subcontractor. Mr. Lanham conducted the inspection himself on June 14, 2021. According to the complaint, Dr. Connolly and Dr. Mott and their three children were home during the visit. And their house was also filled with family photos. Children's drawings of figures with dark skin, a poster for the film Black Panther and literature by black authors. Months after the first appraisal, the couple applied for another refinance loan with a different loan lender, Rocket Mortgage, removed family photos and had a white male colleague, Another John Hopkins professor, stand in for them. The second appraiser valued the house at $750,000. $750,000. Okay, there's more to this story. This time they underwent what's called a whitewashing experiment. We have covered these before on Indisputable, removing indications of blackness from their home and replacing them. With signifiers that a white family might live there instead. They cleared their bookshelves of works by black authors. They asked white friends to share family photos and place those in picture frames around the house on their walls. They hung art, bought at IKEA that showed white people. You don't get whiter than IKEA artwork inside of your home. So when the appraiser came, he saw all of this evidence especially Ikea that sealed the deal. What happened? In the suit, the couple criticized how this appraiser did his job. In Mr. Lanham's appraisal, he selected three homes. This is his formula now. He selected three homes with values ranging from 435,000 to 545,000. A fourth comparable which sold for 650,000 was ultimately not used in his valuation. The first home he used the complaint argues he considered a fixer upper, which the home of Dr. Connolly and Dr. Mott is not. The second he used is outside of the boundaries of, homeland of the homeland neighborhood, amid a majority black census block of homes. So let me try to break this down some more. Basically what the appraiser did, is he took one of the lowest valued homes that was a fixer-upper. And said, okay, we're gonna use this as a marker. And then he utilized another home in a black community adjacent outside of the community of Homeland. And he said, okay, this is a black community, we're gonna use that one as a marker. And he comes up with the appraisal based on these models or measures which are contrary to actual policy and protocol. In the third, he deducted $50,000 from the comparison amount because Dr. Connolly and Dr. Mott's home faces a busy street, a deduction, the complaint says, that is excessive and inconsistent with proper appraisal practices. Another $20,000 was deducted for quality of construction. All of the selected comparable homes, the complaint says, were of lower quality than Dr. Connolly and Dr. Mott's home, and the appraisal incorrectly stated. That their home had not received any updates for 15 years, a lie on the document they found. According to the complaint, Mr. Lanham cherry picked low value homes as comps, And by doing so, he ignored legitimately comparable homes with much higher sales prices. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, more than 97% of home appraisals are white. As a result of the black homeowners have encountered similar discriminatory appraisals. So this family decided to do more than what the average family typically would do. And what was the result? An extra $300,000 and likely more, likely more because I'm sure at some point there's a settlement or punitive damages awarded to this family. This is inconvenience, inconvenient obviously. And it's discrimination, housing discrimination, that's a federal issue. Attorney, we've covered multiple stories like this. The fact that we have some means there are more that we do not know about. And a lot of families just accepted the appraisal without any rebuttal because they thought the appraiser was probably unbiased. What are your thoughts here?
1: you know it just it really speaks to all the efforts that we have to undertake in order to try to dodge the racism that is so inherently laden in our society uh, especially when you have situations like this where as you mentioned the vast majority of appraisers are white and how they come to your door and they determine that your home is valued less simply because you have a higher melanin count than everyone else and then the lies that are told to try to cover that up and conceal it it just it really does show you how society is structured and such that black people continue to lose day in and day out the hundreds of thousands of dollars we lose when it comes to housing when it comes to employment in every aspect of society and it is it is it's just rage inducing that's exactly what it is
0: and it shows you how racism permeates in every industry every culture that's why critical race theory is so important to understand because critical race theory says you can actually eliminate racist people racist people can be taken out of the equation but the systems that are utilized, the systems that are in place will still create a biased outcome. All right, we got more on the other side, It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, okay, let me read some of these comments. Thank you for joining the conversation via comment. Rx Ooze, thank you for that Rx, uh, should have laid out gluten free crackers to raise the value even more. Okay, Kelly K. Do off-duty cops always carry their service weapons and badges? That's interesting. Um, some of them do. Some of them do. Uh, Reverend Antoine L. Mesa, Senior, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you so much for joining. We appreciate your presence here. Twitch. All right, King Apple One. These two found each other. All right, talking about okay, yeah, the man that pulls the knife. All right. Um. Herschel, damn Walker, strikes again. Herschel Walker now says uh, the reason that people want to take your money is because of trees. Yeah, you know they got the nerve to spend money on trees. Let me go to the video. They continue to try to fool you, like they're helping you out, but they're not. They're not helping you out because a lot of the money is going into trees. You know that, don't you? It's going to the trees. We got enough trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? Pote. Um, he was talking about excessive spending, you know, general Republican talking points against Democrats. It's possible Walker might have been referring to a provision in the law that allocates one point five billion dollars to the US Forest Services, Urban and Community Forestry program. That's a good thing, that's a preservation grant. Walker tweeted Monday evening, yes, yes, you heard me right. Joe Biden and Reverend Warnock are spending 1.5 billion on urban forestry. Raising taxes on those making under $200,000 to pay for it. Yes, I have a problem with that. So obviously, there's. Nuance and lies associated with this tweet, but it's politics. Full context sport here, right? Now, we know Walker is no stranger to making head scratching remarks. We've covered them a lot on Indisputable. Uh, so here's another one about climate change. He, uh, in a July 9th appearance, he spoke about climate change, suggesting that Georgia's good air decides to float over to China. Replacing China's bad air, which goes back to Georgia, where we gotta clean that back up. And listen, I don't have the time to go over all of his ridiculous comments. So the producers here at Indisputable put a little something together for you. Here it is.
3: One time, science said man came from apes. If that is true, why are there still apes?
0: Think about it. Do you know right now I have something that can bring you into a building? That would clean you from covert as you walk through this, this dry mix. They don't wanna talk about that.
2: Senator Lewis, one of his greatest senators that's ever been, and for African American, that was absolutely incredible. I think, man, to throw his name on a bill, uh, the voting rights, I think is a shame. First of all, you know, when you look at the bill, it just doesn't fit what John Lewis stood for. It.
0: He's in a church where man preached is not the color of your skin, but the content of your character. He's never talked about any one character. He's always talked about the color of someone's skin.
3: Cain killed Abel, you know, and uh, you know, and that's the problem that we have. And I said, what we need to do is look into how we can stop those things. You know, he talked about doing a disinformation. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's
0: looking at uh, women, that's looking at uh, just social media? What about doing that? Looking into things like that, and we can stop that that way, sir. We need a department to look into young men looking into young women. You just lost, brother. I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, it's a damn shame that you're even competitive against Senator Raphael Warnock, who, by the way, will be on the show very soon, next week, I think. A damn shame. Um, Adrian, you know, at this point, I'm kind of at a loss for words here. He's obviously incapable. His own team says he's incapable of leadership. They are continuing to prompt him up basically to make him seem credible and he's not, but he's, he's talking and the more he talks, the more information we get. He's still competitive. He could still win the US Senate race in Georgia. What are your thoughts?
1: I think it's an absolute and utter shame. This person is not qualified. They have no legitimate plan. They can't even formulate a sentence in some way that it would actually be, um, you know, communicating something that is worthwhile. It really is an embarrassment to see that this is someone who our society says, yes, they should be in a leadership position and role. It just, it really also shows you this is what racism looks like when it is something that people are clinging to so steadfast that they're willing to put this individual up uh, as their leader and put him again in a position of power. And they're willing to do that simply because they do not want an educated, informed, uh, solid leader because that individual is a black man.
0: Yeah, and they do not want an independent thinker. They don't want anyone who's actually able to think for themselves, look at information, look at evidence, make a conclusion. They don't want that. They want someone who will simply do what they are told to do like a Herschel Walker. So that plays a big part of this entire manipulation happening in the Senate race. Okay, a woman is poisoned with a napkin on her birthday, okay? This is an interesting saga, still unresolved, all right? So a woman was poisoned on her birthday after touching a napkin she found on her car door. She explains the incident, here it is.
3: What's up y'all? It's me Aaron Dawn. I just want to share with y'all the experience that I had yesterday on my birthday. What started off as a great day turned into being one of the scariest moments of my life. So, I know y'all wondering what happened. Um, after we finished eating, we walked to the car and I had a napkin sticking out of my door handle. So, this isn't the actual napkin, but I just wanted to give y'all an idea of how it was sticking out the door handle. So, when I saw it, I just picked it up with my fingernails like this and I tossed it out. I didn't touch the napkin, but guess what? I still opened the door with my fingertips. So, once my husband got off the phone, I asked him, Did you put a napkin in my door? And he was like, No. So immediately I started looking for the hand sanitizer. I'm like, oh my God. So he was just like, um, just go back inside, wash your hands. It's going to be okay. I went inside, washed my hands, and maybe like two minutes later, my fingertips started tingling. Then maybe after about five minutes, my whole arm just started tingling. Then it started to feel numb. I got lightheaded. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I just, I got hot, it just was a whole bunch of different feelings at one time, and I I started to panic. Once we got to the emergency room, I um, explained to them what happened, and immediately they brought me to the back, took my uh, blood pressure and everything. They say my vitals were not stable, so they immediately put me in a room and gave me some fluids. They ran a whole bunch of tests. I had a CAT scan, um, just a whole bunch of stuff. I was there for about six and a half hours. The doctor said I had acute poisoning from an unknown substance. I didn't have enough of it in my system to determine what it was. But just that little amount had me messed up, y'all. Like,
0: Wow, now this is not the only incident like this. So we're doing this story because I want to make sure women are vigilant. Please be vigilant. If you see something like that on your car door, do not touch it. Call the police, all right, call 911, but do not touch it. Let's put up the picture of this young lady full mass here. This was horrific. According to Fox 26 expert Mark Winter of the Southeast Houston Poison Center said the symptoms described by Miss Sims matched hundreds of potential toxins. This despite doctors performing blood work, urine testing, And the CAT scan, they could not figure out exactly what it was. But it is clear to them that she was absolutely poisoned, no question about it. But they cannot find the poison, which means they cannot trace it. Which means they cannot find the perpetrator. All right, Adrian thoughts on this.
1: I think this is absolutely terrifying, uh, particularly as there was a recent video that just came out about that occurring to, uh, happening to another woman who was leaving the zoo and feeling like there was a man following her and then seeing something in her door handle as well. It seems that uh, you know people who are engaged in all sorts of criminal activity targeting women, whether it's trafficking or some kind of assault, is that they are coming up with new tactics in order to subdue women and make it easier for them to be taken. And this is a very scary thing in part because it's just the whole overarching attack on women and our bodies is something that is going on in society. And so to continue to have to fear for your safety in public places, it just—it really just continues to make our lives hell.
0: Yeah, it's so unfortunate. It is. Um, thank you so much for everything you do. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work.
1: You can check me out on Rebel HQ, which is on Facebook as well as YouTube. Also, I'm on Twitter at Adrienne Law and Instagram at Adrienne
0: Lawrence. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable.
1: When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are.
0: A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is.
1: redlining in this country mm-hmm.
0: the white liberal I, I don't i don't give a damn who created it if it's well, a racist I, 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 policy, that's policy. A racist that's policy shelly here's what, what I, don't I don't it's know i don't know see there you go filibustering brother you're scared of this truth but you're gonna get it though